Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The NFL is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, hello, folks. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of Believe in Sports Law. After that opening message by our wonderful show sponsor, we're going to get into the content for today's show, which is all about the future of social media. So today is Monday, November 16th. We're coming up on the Thanksgiving holiday. We are going to be with you throughout the holidays. So every Monday, our show goes live. And we hope that uh, you continue to listen in and always appreciate that you do. So again, this is a Believe in Sports Law via the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans, and I think we have a very uh, terrific show for you guys today. So what are we talking about with regard to the future of social media? Well, often when we talk about social media, especially on this show, we're talking about it in the context of how it affects the consumer, and particularly in the entertainment, media, and sports space. So we're going to talk about monetization of social media. And as, as everybody knows, or as you may know, social media has really been uh, a catalyst for the sharing of information. It's been the catalyst of uh, many careers in entertainment, media, sports. It's been the catalyst of uh, really making people more popular. It's been the catalyst of being able to take ideas and expand them. And uh, really, I personally think has been one of these great things where it's really, I think, transformed society. Uh, probably one of the greater inventions, I think, uh, of, I don't know how long, you know, the past 100, 200 years, uh, you know, maybe the greatest thing for distribution since the printing press. So it's definitely uh, changed the outlook of a lot of uh, different industries. But obviously with every industry, it comes you know, with challenges, right? And the challenge for social media uh, over the past, I would say, probably six years uh, has been this idea of uh, its model of self-regulation when it comes to speech. Uh, when it comes to people sharing information on social media. Uh, you can often see this when you're looking at a post and it's talking about um, something somebody has shared and there's disclaimer added to it by social media. Or if, uh, you know, by the company or by, you know, pursuant to one of their policies, right? This is something that uh, you see on Facebook through, you know, again, the disclaimer. You might see it on Twitter if you, you know, end up uh, having your uh, tweet sort of hidden uh, because of content they deem as sensitive or as incorrect or or what have you. Uh, Instagram, other platforms, uh, YouTube does the same. Now, of course, 
my personal opinion is I think that internet freedom is really an extension of our personal freedom, right? These are free platforms that we use. And instead of writing in a newspaper or reading the newspaper, most of us get our news from social media. There's been uh, statistics and studies done on that or studies and statistics gotten from those studies where it talks about how people get their news and, and how people consume information. And social media is a big player in that. And, you know, so I, I really think that internet freedom is an extension of our personal freedom. So any regulation of it has to come with uh, serious input from Congress, from the judiciary, uh, and really from the executive branch and, and each doing their role, right? So, you know, today a social media post is uh, the equivalent of, you know, standing on a street corner and giving a speech. You know, social media platforms, uh, they're free, they're easy to use, and, and greater distributors of messages uh, for people than using a traditional public platform like a street corner with a megaphone. You know, think about it. It used to take the physical, you know, exertion of going outside and, you know, buying a megaphone or getting a megaphone or going out and doing a public protest. Well, a lot of times people can do this on social media now. I think that creates a lot of different um, issues when it comes to um, personality complexes with regard to social media. I think people are more willing to say things on social media than they wouldn't norm normally say to somebody in person or do things on social media that you wouldn't normally do. Um, so it, it's something to keep in mind as, as you know, platforms continue to expand, right? But it's also something to say about how it's going to work in the context of entertainment, media, and sports, which we'll get into a little bit later in this show. But something to keep in mind. Under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, it's uh, 47 United States Section 230, so 47 USC Section 230 for, for the lawyers out there, for the law students or whoever's listening just wants to look that up. 47 USC Section 230 states that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as a publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider, end quote. What does that mean in plain English? Well... In the United States, a platform like Facebook, if you are a user and you post something that is copyrighted or trademarked, the platform itself, Facebook, is not liable or for your infringing activity of posting that information. Now, they can become liable if they are notified of the infringing information and they refuse to remove it. So keep that in mind. Now, this differs from European Union law in many other countries around the world, uh, I want to say many other countries, but other countries around the world where platforms like YouTube, if, you know, if you post a video or whatever, music, Facebook, same thing, Instagram, uh, they are liable for uh, copyrighted or trademark content that users post and display. So the user and the platform are liable. So again, an example would be posting a copyrighted song or a clip from a movie. So it, it, it is something to keep in mind. I think it forces the platforms to be um, more advantageous or more direct about how information is shared and how they regulate that. Uh, but it does create for some interesting um, sort of legal arguments about what's the right direction or not. Is, is it the American way or is it the European way uh, or the international way where the platforms are liable? I think as we go through sort of today's show, um, 
you may develop some opinions about what that should look like, but at least you'll be informed, right? And you'll be informed about what's going on. Now, interesting uh, to context here, the law in the United States of America has made it possible for platforms to grow at an exponential rate and to avoid cost of litigation from users sharing information um, and ideas, whether or not those ideas and, and, um, and shares are copyrighted or trademarked ones. Uh, However, as I mentioned earlier, the platform can become liable if they are notified via the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which is DMCA for short, the Lanham Act, which protects trademarks, and other state and federal infringement laws that protect intellectual property holders, and it allows them to seek removal of the infringing content and to file suit against the infringing party, right? So that's sort of the law of the land today. You know, platforms are not liable up front in the United States for users posting information, but they can become liable later on down the road if they refuse to remove it after being notified that it's infringing, right? And I think for most of these platforms, YouTube, whoever it might be, they actually have bots that sort of scan uh, for information and will actually do a decent job um, of, there might be some copyright and trademark uh, holders that disagree, but I think uh, there's definitely been some items that have been removed and it's like anything else when you're you know scanning through Facebook or Twitter and people with the click of a button can notify that content is offensive or content is uh, you know trademarked copyrighted what have you so it it's both a powerful tool but it also can sometimes be overused as well right and I think that these things are really connected as we'll get into so I, I I think sort of looking at this, uh, keeping in mind that, again, platforms are not liable up front, but they can be if they're notified of the information and then refuse to remove it down the road. That's the model in the United States. Now, under Internet law principles, generally accepted inter Internet law principles, uh, you know, again, platforms are not completely immune from liability uh, because if, uh, you know, again, if the platform fails to remove uh, the information after having notice of infringement, the platform can be liable. Okay, so now we know that. So in that vein, uh, social media strategy for growth has really been twofold. The first is to encourage the free marketplace of sharing of ideas, pictures, and information in exchange for um, access to information and connection. Of course, that first or that part is now protected by privacy laws. You know, there was a big issue going on early on with uh, with social media with regard to privacy and access to people's information. Of course, Congress and other groups have now stepped in to regulate some of that. And even some of these companies have done some self-regulation, whether it be because of the laws or just, you know, out of, um, you know, really trying to create goodwill with its, with its, uh, with its juniors, uh, users and um, uh, connections there. So, Again, privacy laws have been somewhat come into play there for that first part of growth for uh, strategy for social media. And with regard to that sort of sharing information, that same information was able to be monetized by social media because it can now sell advertising space to outside businesses through the power of the community created by the people who used it, the users, and algorithms, right? Where do people post? How do they share? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? Um, you know, this is typical when you do a Google search, 
or when you like something on Facebook and the next thing you know, you have another page suggested to you or you have a product suggested to you. This happens all the time. And of course, this is somewhat helpful, but it's also somewhat scary. We've talked about that before. I wrote an article about uh, entitled Social Media Speak, and uh, we've written some other articles that have talked about that. Now, the second part of it, so the first part of social media strategy growth was to encourage the free sharing of ideas, get people engaged, people to share information, and then in turn um, use and license some of that information to get advertisers to come in and sell space to sell product. That was pretty much the exchange, right? Google, if anything, is an advertising group. Facebook, if anything, is an advertising group. They just happen to own the technology and a platform to share that information, which makes them very powerful. The second part of that strategy growth for platforms has been enjoying immunity from initial user posting. Could you imagine if platforms like Facebook and and Twitter and YouTube were liable for all the infringing content that was posted? Now, of course, the interesting point here is, is that Universal Music, for example, has now signed deals with Facebook and I believe Instagram, I'm pretty sure Facebook, where uh, they have music licensing agreements now. So if you notice, if you're posting a story on Instagram, you can actually add music to it through the little um, one of the little app options. So that those were deals that were done to allow for that because ultimately if they didn't do that, those artists would not be getting paid for that copyrighted music. So something to keep in mind, right? But again, the platform's not liable. That allows them to save a lot of money on uh, infringing uh, c- you know, content they would normally have to litigate or normally have to regulate more. And because they're not liable, that allows them to grow at an exponential rate. So those were really the two big social media growth strategies, right? Uh, and it's this whole idea of really keeping the internet free, right? Internet freedom, the extension of yourself, right? Which is why any sort of... Uh, regulation of the internet is always brought with and and fraught with uh, really um, big public debates as to how it should be regulated and if it should be regulated. Um, so, which really kind of gets into, and we'll talk a little bit about this about um, a little bit later with regard to Google and the current litigation going on with the uh, antitrust issues and the United States Justice Department. Now, uh, however, what occurs with those same social media platforms as they begin to limit free speech and regulate when and where the marketplace of ideas have value or by placing disclaimers, censors, and blocking certain speech? This obviously has occurred a lot around and before and after and during the election. But it happens in general as well, even in a lead up to an election. It happens just during normal years when you don't have um, a national and international pandemic going on. This is something that I think as privacy laws began to regulate more what these platforms were doing, they in turn looked for ways to also regulate what was being shared. And it's sort of an interesting thing. I don't know if the two are connected, but it's just, it's what's happened, you know, and, and I think platforms have tried to step in uh, to, you know, regulate their space more, uh, which from a business standpoint probably makes sense, right? You know, if, if they want to regulate their space more, okay. But I think there's consequences to that. So 
uh, in many ways, social media companies and platforms like YouTube and Google as a search engine have utilized the limited immunity provision of Section 230 we talked about earlier to limit access to ideas and speech. Because on one hand, if they're not liable for the people and the user sharing information, they're not going to be liable for regulating that same speech that's shared, right? Or the same ideas or whatever. So it's really kind of a negative use of that term, right? They're doing the opposite. And um, where these platforms have no liability for initial posting, again, they similarly share no liability for regulating those same posts by users. So the platforms are using Section 230 in the negative sense of the word. So if a user posts, the platform enjoys immunity from the user post, but the platform also enjoys freedom from liability if the platform regulates the user's post. So, I mean, those are obviously very powerful tools, right? Now, Twitter's use of disclaimers and blocking, Facebook's use of pop-ups below the post, and Instagram's use of similar tools is really censorship of speech, right? I think everybody can agree on that. But the issue is, is there any legal liability? Uh, Is there anything that can be done about it? We'll get into that. The issues for speakers or posters, if you will, uh, is that you need a public forum and a state actor to file a suit for violating the First Amendment of the United States Constitution or free speech, as better known as free speech. Under the law, social media uh, and platforms like YouTube and search engines like Google are not considered public forums. And as um, and private companies are not considered state or government actors. So under the, the letter of the law, they, they don't qualify, right? So that, that's what, is what allows them to do this. Now, if platform, platforms were considered public platforms and the company owners as state actors, this is what the law says. So assuming that it's a government actor and assuming that it's a public forum, traditional public forum, quote, when the government restricts speech in a traditional public forum, strict scrutiny dictates that Restrictions are allowed only if they serve a compelling state interest and are narrowly tailored to meet the needs of that interest, end quote. So this is very powerful constitutional, you know, this is from constitutional cases argued over the years. It's from, um, you know, the black letter of the law, so to speak. But of course, that doesn't apply to um, social media platforms and and companies like Google. So uh, this is where... You know, ultimately, a lot of the monetization happens, you know, whether it be for advertising, this is where people are really free to share anything, Um, whether you're on one side of saying you want it to be more safe and you want less ideas to be shared um, or you want more ideas to be shared and you want the marketplace to decide what's right or wrong, right? So for the future, should social media be allowed to continue to influence or better yet control the sharing of information according to company-developed standards and processes and procedures. Well, as a private company, they have the legal ability to do so, right? But one solution, this gets into the entertainment media sports connection and and the way it could affect us uh, in in the space is one solution is a change in company and industry strategy, um, which would be to have social media become a subscription-based platform uh, for a fee. So, for example, a user pays X dollars to see A-list actor uh, or MVP athlete content, uh, which can again could be monetized by entertainment media and sports account holders. Uh, it could be a choice. It could be like entertainment content streaming platforms, you know, Amazon, Hulu, what have you, where you have an ad-based free content and you have paid advertising 
or you have ad-based free content and you have paid advertisement free content. So if you want to watch a show for free, you watch it with commercials. If you want to watch, uh, um, you know, a show with no ad, with no advertising, you pay for it. And, and, you know, again, you can do that with social media content. You could say, if you want to access MVP and elite content, you pay X dollars, right? So now again, the industry could also offer premium content and, um, you know, this idea, even like this idea of freemium has gone out there where you offer something for free to encourage people to buy it, right? So you kind of tease them with it. ESPN plus other companies do this where they offer something to free to kind of get you engaged, you know, get you, you know, get the hook in there and then reel you in. So it sort of encourages folks to look for exclusive access to celebrities or other content. Now, one thing is for sure, uh, in somewhat of a joking way, uh, under the the model we just explained, people might be a lot less upset at social media posts because it conceivably has less to see. Now, this is assuming in that model that users would not purchase um, every social media user. Uh, so you wouldn't buy every NFL athlete, every NBA athlete. You wouldn't buy every A-list actor. You wouldn't uh, purchase access to each of those individuals, right, to see what they're sharing and what they're posting, just like you wouldn't purchase every streaming platform. Most people, and there's been studies done on this, you usually get two to three, maybe four platforms, right? That's the max. So how many would that be the equivalent of in, in, a, in a, a monetization side of this where you're, you know, giving access to celebrities for a price? I don't know. But it's something that's been talked about, something I've been discussed. It's a way to monetize it. Now, back to what we were kind of discussing, and it's this idea of, you know, regardless of the current laws and regulations that allow for social media to maintain its market strength, whether you're talking about the privacy, you know, aspect or the amenity aspect, um, the ongoing question, I believe, of our time is whether social media and big tech companies like Google should be free to control information. So... You know, in the past, you know, obviously the big thing was newspapers, right? And the newspapers were pretty highly regulated when it came to, or even if it was self-regulated, you know, you, you pretty much had uh, a way to access information. You knew what information was done. Journalists did their job, right? But of course, in an age of, or, you know, anybody can be a journalist and anybody can post information. It's the, it's the question of, should it be re information be regulated and how should it be regulated? Now, make no mistake, the current investigation and lawsuit for antitrust activity by the United States Justice Department against Google or Alphabet uh, Incorporated is all about the industry controlling information and access to information uh, that the American people have the right to consume and enjoy in the marketplace of ideas, right? That's what it's all about. It's about too much control in the hands of one. I mean, that's, that's you know, antitrust activity 101, right? Now, from a little sort of, you know, civics lesson, you know, as everybody knows, the American people vote for the representative branch in our republic to write and pass laws, right? Our judicial branch interprets those laws and when disputes arise, and the executive branch enforces those laws. So when little to no laws exist as to social media self-regulation, the companies are free to police themselves, and that's indeed what has occurred. Right or wrong, that's what has occurred. Now, again, to date, to recap, the first part of the social media and platform strategy 
has been challenged by privacy law being passed across the country, especially in California where Proposition 24, which just recently passed, and with the California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, which uh, we, I wrote an article about a while back uh, called When Privacy Becomes You. So you can check that one out as well. Now, as to part two of the strategy, which was immunity, which is still currently the case. Section 230 is still part of the Communications Decency Act, and it's something that they highly lobbied for. And it may not necessarily be a bad thing. The question is, is, is should there be another law or a limit to the way that social media and the way that platforms control the sharing and spread of information? That is the question, I think, of our time. Regardless of how you fall on it, whether you want more or less, I think that's the question of our time. And we're going to see where this ends up because currently it's uh, it's sort of taken platforms have taken the safety self regulation approach of you know so they create the policy and then they deem what's safe and what's not safe and then they censor it they block it they put a disclaimer on it that's been the practice so far and uh, this is done by search engines it's done by social media platforms um, websites obviously do it. The question is, will this reach the desk in the halls of Congress? And obviously, everybody's seen probably some of the YouTube videos with regard to senators, you know, um, uh, doing investigations into uh, some of the heads of social media platforms and uh, the head of Google and sort of what that looks like, right? And the regulation of ideas. You know, it's sort of interesting because the Washington Post, obviously a famous newspaper, its 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 slogan reads, "Democracy dies in darkness," right? Now, is the suppression of ideas and the addition of safe spaces the definition of darkness? You know, is, is it, again, who is regulating these ideas? Who's regulating free speech? How is this being done? And what is it good for, right? Now, I think, unfortunately, for social media platforms, I think the current path is the one of least resistance. It's this idea of let's regulate before questioning, before debate, before exchange. Uh, I've always felt that the best ideas are debated and the questions are encouraged in a representative republic, right? I think time will tell uh, about where this goes. I think time will tell about the future of social media and whether it becomes a subscription-based platform and um, how those things will open up or whether it just stays free and it continues to be a, a, a private slash public space where you know ultimately private companies are running uh, the place where most ideas are shared. I think regardless of where you fall on the issue, uh, it's a potential place for huge monetization for um, entertainment and sports talent and for entertainment and media sports companies. Uh, but it's also a great sort of place for debate when it comes to ideas. And so we'll see how it plays out. In the meantime, folks, wishing you all well, wishing you a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, as that comes up, I believe it will be next week. And um, looking forward to having you back with us. Always appreciate and honored that you've joined the show. My name is Jeremy Evans. Again, I'm your host of Believe in Sports Law, where we talk about entertainment, media, and sports law topics. And uh, this is via the Believe Podcast Network. Hope to be back with you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.